Support for Home Row is brought to you by Baron Fig, tools for thinkers. You know, as writers, we rely on paper, and I think the good folks at Baron Fig make the best notebook and journal on the planet in the confidant. It's a hardcover cloth journal that lays flat right when you open it. It's incredible. You don't have to use your arm or you don't have to crinkle the pages or anything to get it to lay flat. It lays flat right when you open it. They also make great pens and pencils and all kinds of notebooks and all kinds of sizes. And listeners of Home Row, you get 10% off just for listening to the show. Just use coupon code Home Row. That's all you need. So go to baronfig.com, place your order, and get to writing. All right, everybody, welcome to episode 31 of Home Row, and today I have a, an, a voice and an author on here that I'm sure many of you have read, and if you haven't, you should be reading everything she writes. It's so good to have Sarah Eikhoff Zylstra. Did I get that even close? <laughs> Sarah Eikhoff Zylstra. You got Zylstra right. Oh, I got the harder one. Correct. <laughs> okay. Well, Sarah, man, thanks so much for, for coming on the show. It's good to have you. You bet. Thanks for letting me come. So for the people out there who don't know who you are, that don't know that you are the uber journalist in um, the Gospel Coalition right now, uh, maybe just let the audience know who you are. Yes. So I am the uber journalist, but only because I am the only journalist at the Gospel <laughs> Coalition right now. So um, <laughs> don't don't put me too far up on your pedestal. I, um, I've, I've been writing news for the Gospel Coalition for about a year now. Um, so really all my, my journalism training comes from the work that I've done and I'm still doing at Christianity today. I have been with them for about 12 years. So that's, um, where my longer stint has been. And then your writing background, did you, am I right in saying that you went to Northwestern? Is that correct? Yes, I did. So, um, I, my husband and I moved to Chicago after we graduated from college so that he could attend law school at the University of Chicago. And I was working as an administrative assistant to put him through school and did that for about a year and a half before it got, um, you know, you're asking yourself existential questions about what am I doing with my life? And am I going to be working this job forever? And what should I do next? And so I um, went back to school and was, um, um, God opened the door for me to be able to go to Medill at Northwestern University, which is both an excellent school and even more important for us, just north of the city, so we could stay living together during that time. Now, am, am I right in guessing that or thinking that Northwestern is kind of one of the premier writing and journalism schools? Yes. So we probably share that honor with Columbia University in New York and maybe University of Missouri. Um, but yes, it's definitely up in the top trio. Yeah, because I feel like a lot of the NBA writers I follow, and mm -hmm. the, they all mention Northwestern, Northwestern. So why why is Northwestern one of those places that if people are out there and want to, you know, get more, I guess, education and writing, and maybe they're leaning towards journalism, why should people consider Northwestern? So the Medill School of Journalism there is connected um, ages and ages back, well, named for Joseph Medill, who ran the Chicago Tribune for a long time. So they have roots. There's journalism roots there that go back um, years and decades and decades. So it's an old tradition, and it's also extremely practical. So when you go to Medill, you're not going to learn the academic side. You're not going to learn 
um, generally about like history or getting a PhD in something. It's very, very practical. So when you're there, they're throwing you out on the street, like, all right, go cover the, the Evanston police and fire for this semester, or you're going to be covering the business district for this semester. And you're, you're, or the, or legals, I spent a semester um, at a, at a courthouse. So you're just, they're just throwing you out there every day and giving you a lot of really, really practical hands-on education. Oh, so that's, that's, so cool. that's why people like it. Yeah. Good. Yeah. I wish I had some kind of training in, in writing and journalism <laughs> or something. I, I think it would probably help me in, in, in so many ways. Yeah. Well, the only trouble is it's really expensive. So if you can get that training in another way, then that would be cheaper. Then that would be super cool too. Okay, I'll just, I'll read your writing and I'll just learn, <laughs> learn via your prose. It's basically the same thing as going to graduate school. Yeah. <laughs> there we go. Perfect. <laughs> now for the listeners out there who, um, let them know what's, what's something that you do for fun other than, you know, other than Ooh. research, uh, John Piper's seashells sermon. Well, that is super fun. Um, I, so I'm a little bit of an organizing and productivity geek. So I like to, I, so like my for fun books are the productivity project or essentialism, um, or stuff like that. So thinking about how to streamline my life, even just like my housekeeping or my writing or, um, stuff like that. That's kind of my, kind of my hobby. Wow. That's not what I was expecting. I know it's nerdy. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I don't know. You live in Chicago, so maybe cycling or I don't know. I don't know what Chicagoans do. Organize a closet. Organize a closet, Jeff. That's what I want to do. (laughs) So now you've written a ton of stuff. I was just perusing the Gospel Coalition website real fast. So so Mm -hmm. a most recent piece that's published on there, How Acts 29 Survived and Thrived After the Collapse of Mars Hill, How Southern Baptists Trained More Disaster Relief Volunteers Than the Red Cross, um, how the country's largest white Presbyterian church became multi-ethnic, uh, young, restless, and reformed in Latin America, America's epidemic, how opiate addicts find help in the church. And a lot of these pieces, keep, they're like a week apart, two weeks apart. <laughs> That's an exaggeration. I work on them forever, though. Um, so I always have a couple going at the same time, because you're right. When I first came on, um, Colin Hansen, who's my editor, we, I came on with the idea that I'd write maybe one or two a week and it would be pretty fast, you know, like talk to a source or two and just start spitting out these stories of really our goal here is to chase around the Holy Spirit and see where God is moving in the world and then write that story. Except for, as you've just mentioned, these titles, the stories that I, that I found are not anything that you could write real quick. Um, you know, what's Reformed Christianity doing in China? That is not a two-day story. That is much more like a four week story at at least in lots of sources. So I've always got a couple going at a time. So they come out faster. It's a little deceptive. Yeah. You have a ton of them and they're not short pieces. They're, they are, I guess, would you classify them as long form? I would. I definitely would. They're most far between two and 3000, I think. Yeah. Okay. So for the listeners out there who don't know, like what in the world is long form? So what are the categories, I guess, in your mind for online or, or journalistic, you know, pieces on the internet? So from so I guess would long form be on the far right? What would be the continuum in your mind? Oh, uh, I guess probably going all the way over to a little tiny tweet um, would be like your real fast breaking news, one sentence thing. And then you can, I mean, you can stretch that out. Your story could be like one paragraph if you're quick throwing an update on something um, all the way over to, I don't know if there's stuff a lot longer than mine. You almost have to jump to book after that. Right. Um, 
after you get that long. Yeah. And ha- have you written any books? Or are you leaning no. towards writing books? Are you thinking, do you have ideas in mind? I don't. I, I really never had the desire to write a book because I write these really long articles and it's hard to write a really long article. So I don't, if I did, Jeff, it would have to be like, I'd like to write a biography on somebody or a history of something. It would be a nonfiction, you know, maybe one of these topics that needed even deeper attention. Right. But I'm also a little bit, um, I like to hop around to the, from these different topics and learn about different things. So I'm, I'm really super happy with where I am because when you get in a book, you have to become obsessed with that topic for a really long time. And I don't, don't know if I want to do that. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah, that make that makes sense. Well, congratulations on being listed in Editor's Choice on Colin Hansen's post that came out today, December eighteenth, on the best of twenty seventeen. Yeah. Have you seen it? I did. I just looked at it this morning. Yeah, so you've got you've got a couple listed in there. I think four. So yeah. you're how John Piper's seashell swept over a generation. So tell us about so I guess now let's enter in maybe through one piece on yeah. on the journalistic process. Cause I know like I'm not a journalist, but uh, read your stuff and honored to be interv- interviewed by you on a, for a couple of different pieces, and mm-hmm. just the process that you go through and the the gathering. So you know maybe somebody out there is listening and they have the gift to write, but maybe they're thinking I I couldn't write a book. There's no way. Um, <laughs> so maybe maybe they're interested in in journalism at this stage, or maybe that's what they want to be long term. So I guess what would be your all right, let me lift the hood and let me show you kind of how I wrote this piece or how, yeah. how my journalism works. So just take us away, Sarah. Yeah. Um, first of all, if there are people out there who are, are gifted in writing it and, and would like to, the Gospel Coalition is always looking for writers. So if you want to write for us, um, let me know um, and we'll see, we'll see how we can do it. I um, wrote this John Piper piece. Um, oh, I'm trying to remember how it got started. Usually, um, my editor, Colin Hansen and I, um, go through a list of ideas. People after you start writing for a while, start tossing you a lot of ideas all the time. And the main thing we're looking for is some sort of tension or some sort of story. Um, when you think back to your childhood, you know, grammar school days of when you learned about a story and how you first set, do the setting and introduce a, a conflict and then go up through your climax and then finish with your resolution. That's the same story pattern that we're looking for as well. Just some sort of um, something that will keep the story moving along and then some way to end it. So we're looking for a, a narrative arc there in some way. So um, John Piper's, um, you know, he's he's a pretty popular topic for us. And this is a um, question that Colin had been wondering about for a long time because the seashells speech is is almost, you know, like a, a common vernacular for a whole generation of people. Yeah. It changed so many people's lives. So we just wanted to go back and, and talk about what did happen. How did he think of that? What was it like to be there that day? And how, what, you know, and then what makes it interesting, because you can write a story about anybody's speech, but what makes it this one especially interesting and worth writing about is the effect of it it has had has been enormous. It spawned a book. It spawned um, you know, a whole generation of people, um, who don't want to retire, um, and look for seashells on the beach. So that, that's what made this different. And that's what made it worth writing about. And there was sort of our, um, our, our, our little tension right there, how we could explore this and lay it out. So, um, once you have that idea in mind, it was pretty easy. Obviously you have to call John Piper and talk to him. 
Um, but then for this one, it was a, a tiny bit tricky because you have to find people who've been affected by this. Well, that could be anybody anywhere. Um, but thankfully we have the internet and Twitter. So once you start following, you know, once passion or John Piper tweets about this and you can go back and find an old tweet, then lots of people comment on it. Oh, I was there. I totally remember that day. That was amazing. And you can follow, find people through there. So that's really how I threw out my net. Um, was over Twitter and found oh, people nice. there. And yeah. And so you could find tons of different people who, and then once you call them up and say, here's what I'm doing, of course they want to share their experience. And that's how we sort of patched together what happened that day. That's incredible. Yeah, it was fun. So how, how long did it take you to, to write and work on that piece? Hmm, that's a good question. I'd say probably all of these take an average of about a, a month or so, wow. some longer and some shorter. Yeah. And uh, that's not working on it eight hours a day. Some days you're just doing like an interview here or there. So it's an hour or two. And some days you're just are waiting days while you wait for more interviews. And then a cup, probably a week or, or maybe less of really good, strong writing days. Um, and then you go back and do your editing days. And so it's really stretched out. Yeah. So what, I guess, what are your, so after you've gathered your research and your quotes and you've got your structure and all those things, I guess, what are your writing disciplines and, and practices look like from, you know, even yeah. just the smallest, oh, I have a cup of green tea and four pistachios <laughs> and to uh, even just your writing like schedule? Yes. So I like to wait until I have everything. And this does not always work because sometimes while you're writing a story, other questions come up, but I, it works the best for me when I have gathered everything before I start to write, because then you have all the pieces and you can see how it goes. Um, and the first thing I do, Jeff, is pray over this story um, to just ask God to clear my mind and, and help me write it. Because really every story I'm writing is his story to tell. He right. orchestrated all these events. Um, and he pulled all these things together. So I'm asking, I'm just every time. And I shouldn't say every time, cause sometimes I forget, but boy, the times when I do pray, I can definitely tell a difference. Like this is, um, he's helping to, to spark my mind and organize my thoughts in a way that, um, I can tell his story the best way that I can. Um, and then from there, I have to start with my lead. Some people can write their story and come back and, and fill in their lead at the end. And that's a totally legitimate way to do it. But for me, um, once I have that first story or anecdote that starts me off, or even that first quote or scene that starts me off, um, then I can go from there and everything just sort of, um, braids together. Okay. Let me, let me, um, let me pause you real quick. So, yeah. so for the people out there who don't know what a lead is, um, yes. quickly give us the Northwestern 201. <laughs> here, here's how you write a good lead. Okay. So a lead generally in a news story is going to be your first little opening, um, paragraph or two. And inside there somewhere will be what's called a nut graph, which is your paragraph, which is really holding your whole point of your story. But in these really longer form stories, my lead is my whole first section essentially. So I, but my lead lead is going to be my first sentence. And that's, what's going to be what people see first and what helps them to read the rest of it. And usually I'm telling a story. So usually I have got a little tiny story that starts me off. Um, and then at the end of that will be, um, my, my point. I'm going to look, pull up my John Piper story a second so we can see what I did yeah. there. Yeah. I was looking at it too. I was scanning it earlier and I saw porta potties in there. But, oh man. <laughs> it's a perfect way to start. So the morning of May 20, 2000 dawned damp and gray over a grassy field in Memphis where a portable city had sprung up overnight. 
I know that because I looked up the weather. You can back look up weather. So I ah. knew that it was like in the 60s and rainy all day. Um, so you can co- sort of picture it in your mind, these thousands of college kids throwing up tents and they just overnight made this little city in a field. So then, um, I, I, we sort of explained like, this is, I go from there into, this is going to be the story of that day. Now, most of the people who are reading this are interested just from the word seashells. You right. really don't have to go that much further than that to pull them in. That's so true. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's yeah. perfect. Okay. So today's episode of home row is brought to you by the Christian standard Bible. The CSB offers an optimal blend of accuracy and readability, which helps readers make a deeper connection with God's Word, and it also inspires lifelong discipleship. The CSB is equally suited for serious study or for sharing with your neighbor hearing God's Word for the very first time. Learn more at csbible.com. So now, rewind, go back to, you, you got your, okay, you got your lead. And now back to your writing habits, schedule rhythms. Yes. So then I will go from there. So I, um, I have this problem where I can sit down and write for like three or four hours without moving, but that's really unhealthy, Jeff, as any person knows, it's not a good idea to stare at your screen for hours on end. Um, so what, um, and I learned this from Andy Crouch. It's a, it's, but he didn't invent it. It's called the Pomodoro method where you write for 25 minutes and then you get up and for five minutes, like move around, get something to drink, just stretch, and then come back and write again. So in that way, if you break up your writing into 25, 5, 25, 5, and go for a while like that, that's much more healthy for your body. And in the long run, you can sustain that for a really long time. So that's my goal. That's how I how I would wish I could write a lot. And sometimes I do. And then you then you finish the piece and do you edit as you go? Or do you, you, that's a whole nother phase. Right. So part of it, I edit as I go. So I don't, I, I don't finish this whole thing in one day. So I would usually say like, I'd like to finish a section and then, um, take a break for a while and set it down. And then I'll come back and read what I've written and adjust that and write the next section. And then the next time I write, I'll come back and read through all the thing I've written and then try and get through the next section. If I can break it down into those sections, into smaller chunks, that's easier for me to motivate myself right. to keep going to finish it. And then when I'm all the way done, I try and, and put it away for a while, whether that's like a couple hours or, a, or preferably like a whole day and then come back and read it all the way through um, and get it to where I like it. At this point, there's probably, um, if you think about it in word, there's probably um, comments that I've dropped in. There's definitely highlightings of areas where I, I thought, oh, I wish I knew this, but I don't, but I'm just going to drop it in like I know it and, and highlight it and keep going. So for example, if I don't know uh, how many people exactly were at this thing, if I, where I say about 40,000 college students had arrived, I would put about XXX and highlight it and, and just keep going because right. I don't want to get stuck on that. Um, and then I can come back to that later and fill it in. That's so, really good. Yeah. So then I can just send it over to Colin and he looks at it and, and sort of does the big picture view of like, did we essentially capture what we were trying to capture here? He doesn't worry as much about the tiny details at that point as like, do we have the main point that we want? And then if we do, um, then we're good to go on to our next phase. Yeah, man, dig it. There's so so much uh, helpful and really, really needed wisdom right there just on breaking the project up into, into smaller chunks because it can be overwhelming yes. to think, okay, I've got this massive article <laughs> to write or even yes. this, this big book or this, you know, right. 
whatever, even uh, even if you're just writing a thousand word devotional for yep. for your church, I think to think in these little chunks, it's much more manageable and not as overwhelming. Yes, you're much more likely to write, you know, three sections of three hundred words each than you are to sit down and write and you know spit out a thousand words. So if you say to yourself, okay, all I need to get done this morning is really like the first page. Um, you're much more like I, at least I am much more likely to do it. And it's much more enjoyable to me without having the whole thing hanging over and then get, like, give yourself permission. Okay. You can take a break. You can set it down till tomorrow if you want, and then come back and write the next, however many page or whatever. Yeah. Do you have, do you have like, I know some writers have word count goals for themselves. Like, okay, I want to write 500 words every day or a thousand words every day. Um, do you find yourself doing that or no? I do not because I, um, I'm not making this stuff up, which is the problem. So I can't, I, uh, it's not coming out of my own head, so I can't just write that up. So I have to have this, the material from somewhere else. So I, so my goals for the day, which I do have, I'd have like three goals for the day and maybe one would be edit this piece. One would be write a, a chunk of this piece and one would be, um, interview somebody so whatever it is, and some days I don't write at all. I could go for multiple days without writing at all because you're just researching or interviewing people or setting things up and pursuing other stories. So right. for me, it's a little different. Yeah, yeah. no, that's, yeah, that's very good. That's helpful. I forgot to ask you, how did you become a writer? Yeah. Were you, um, were you like in fifth grade and you just knew <laughs> when you no. saw the little paperclip in Microsoft Word talking to you? <laughs> this is my life. I would. No, I, I was in college and a sophomore and, you know, Hey, you better pick a major here, girl. You're just, I was undecided for a long time. Um, and then I took, you know, that beginning speech class at college that everybody has to take and everybody hates and it's the worst class you ever take. Yes. Well, I actually really liked that class a lot and it made me want to become a communication major. Um, but, and then once you become a communication major, then, you know, here's your sub options of, you can do journalism, you can do public relations do human resources. Um, and I just, I guess from there gravitated into the journalism. It wasn't like a a sudden thing. It was sort of a really long, slow slide into writing. And here you are being mentioned in the top pieces of, (laughs) of the gospel coalition. Um, it's so great. So I love that you have, you know, you have a built-in wonderful editor there and, and Colin Hansen, but before Colin, maybe who along the way encouraged your writing, um, and kind of yeah. kept you going. So before Colin, actually Jeff was Colin. He was my, the first person who hired me right out of graduate school oh, wow. at Christianity. He was at Christianity today. And, um, I, so I was in, at graduate school at Northwestern and we went out to Wheaton college for a field trip, Jeff, to learn about the evangelicals and, um, you know, what is this, what, what do these people think and wow. how weird is this? Yes. Yes. That's, that was, that's how it is. Um, and Colin was our like, you know, guide to, as the Christianity day person guide to here's how Christians think. And then while I was there, I just went up to him and said, Hey, you know, I'm, a Christian, a reformed Christian. And I like writing here I am at Medill. And so he tossed me some stories after that. And, um, I, I got sort of slowly slid my way into that as well. I, I got pregnant right out of graduate school. Um, and so I, I had kids while I freelanced and did contract work at Christianity today for about a decade. That's awesome. 
So, uh, so now apart from Colin, who do you think has most also influenced your writing? So maybe, um, obviously Colin is an editor and a colleague Mm -hmm. has a lot of just positive influence, but are there any other writers that you look at that you kind of find yourself, uh, modeling and, and kind of looking at having in the back of your mind, kind of on your Mount Rushmore as you write? (laughs) Yes, I do also want to mention before we move on from editors, Jeremy Weber, who has been editing me forever at Christianity Today and is um, excellent about getting like the details. So where Colin really looks at the big picture, Jeremy will dig in and push on every one of your details. So the accuracy of writing of my writing really would have stemmed from him pushing on all those, you know, is this number correct? Is this date correct? Is this person's name spelled correctly? All of that stuff he's excellent at. Um I think in terms of influencing my writing in, in a broader strokes, um, David McCullough, I don't know if you've read him. He writes really yeah. interesting histories and biographies. Um, and I think that he really opened my eyes up to thinking like this could be, you can use lively language to write history, which usually most of the time, unfortunately, histories are not lively language, right. but, you know? And so um, that was new for me. And I think Susan Weiss Bauer, she's writing, she writes histories of the whole world. Um, and her writing is quite lively as well. And so I really admire both of them for, um, taking something that could be really dull and making it interesting. And I think this is a weakness that we have in religious writing is that it's very, very easy for it to get really dull, really fast. And I think it's because we're trying to be respectful and we're trying to not gossip and we're trying to honor, honor God and not be blasphemous. But then we miss right away that God is a hilarious and playful and creative God and, um, and does awesome, crazy, wonderful things. And, but I think sometimes our language seeps that out. We're trying to be so respectful of it that we, um, miss celebrating it really. And, and miss kind of the absurdity or the amazingness of it. Um, with the way that we talk about it. Yeah. Yeah. That's really good. And it, it makes me think of, you know, I, I was just going to ask you, it's like, why do you think we, we get so dull and, yeah. and, and you nailed it, but it also makes me think of the, of the scriptures. Wow. You know, here you have historical mm-hmm. narratives and the language is lively. And, and especially like, it makes me think of when, uh, well, this is in the epistles, but when Paul's talking about Abraham, and how he's, you know, old, he doesn't just say, and Abraham was old, but he still had Isaac. Right. He says, and his body was good as dead. Like, yes. you know, like yes. he could have yes. just said, and he was, you know, it was old, <laughs> but yeah. no, he's a walking corpse, but you yes. know what? The Lord works in, in powerful ways. So I, Paul's a great example of, mm-hmm. of lively writing. Now, Absolutely. For me, you know, I'm, I'm a nonfiction writer. Um, I've just signed another book contract and I, what can I learn from journalists like yourself and the journalistic habitudes and, and ways of research and orchestration? Like, what do you wish that nonfiction writers would learn from journalists? Hmm, good question. Um, I think one thing is the tightness of and conciseness of language. Journalism does this really well by necessity. Um, because you only have, well, now on the internet, you have tons of space, but forever, if you're in a book or in a magazine or in a newspaper, especially your, your, your space is so small, you have to say things as concisely as possible. And sometimes in books, 
um, we drag things on. And I think that's, I'm remembering like in college where you have to write a five or 10 page paper and you're just making it sound as long as you possibly can. And sometimes books feel like they're doing that too. So I think the, that conciseness or the tightness of the language, uh, is something that can be learned and maybe also the liveliness of language or the, the arc of a story, like that, having that thread that pulls it through, um, and, and rising action and some sort of resolution or climax at the end. That's helpful. Yeah, that's good. Now, I wonder that you've probably read, I'm guessing more books on writing than everyone else I've interviewed combined. That's just my guess. Oh, that would be wrong. No, I, I don't read that much on writing. Well, what I, I'm mainly thinking because of your graduate work and your your, oh, gotcha. Okay. Your, your maybe. Northwestern. Yeah. So, so maybe so, maybe not. I'm sure, I'm sure Doug Wilson has read a, read a lot of books on reading too. <laughs> I'm sure he has. So maybe that would be a contest between, between y'all two, but I, I, I put, I'd bet <laughs> on you. Now, wh- what would you say your top three books, you know, I'm sure after this interview, when you become a worldwide um, celebrity now, that, right. Right. that you're going to be at the Gospel Collision Conference and you're going to have a line of people waiting to talk to you now. And they ask you, um, Sarah, what what books should I read on on writing? What would you recommend? Oh boy, um, I like um, the elements of style. Um, Strunken, Strunken White. Strunken White. Yep, yep. I actually liked um, I liked Anne Lamott's Bird by Bird on sort of the writing process on on you know, writing, I didn't relate to the whole thing, but some parts of it, she just nailed on sort of describing the writing process. Um, boy, those are probably the main, um, elements of style. Did I just say that one? Uh Yeah. yeah. Yep. 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 Um, gosh, those are hard. Have you, I think it's, um, there's a new one, there's a new one that just came out recently or this year draft number four. By, I think it's oh, John okay. McPhee. I think I think that's who it is, and he's he's a journalist too, and he's written a lot on geology, and he wrote a lot, I think, for the New Yorker. Um, Ivan Mesa had shared about it on Twitter, gotcha. I think, so I went and picked it up. It was really good, really interesting. Gotcha. Um, some also, co- some colorful language, but some really helpful insights. Right. Also, Storycraft um, by Jack Hart. Colin actually had us read that last year, I think which is really good at, um, I think the, the liveliness and the, st- and the story arc, like how to include those things in your story. Yeah. Cool. Storytelling. Okay. Yeah. So, Storycraft. I'll have to add that to my list. Okay. So what, what advice would you have for, for aspiring writers? You know, maybe that, especially after mm-hmm. you, you threw out the, Hey, if you want to write for TGC, just <laughs> l- let us know. I know. Right. Um, <laughs> I think when, when Matt Smethers was on, I don't even think he said that. I think he didn't. <laughs> be bombarded with, with emails and, and whatnot, but I know Matt would welcome them. So he would, so. I get to say that because they don't come to me. I just throw <laughs> yeah. them out to the next editor. Yeah. Um, we are always looking though. And we're, and we're looking for people who are talented and that, and that we can work with. I would say that my encouragement is that there's a lot of stories that aren't being told. And it feels like because there's the internet and stories are being told all the time that all the stories have been told, but that's not true. Um, there are a lot of stories that nobody has has told yet. And so there's a lot of ground yet to cover. So I would, you know, encourage them that way. And I would also encourage them, um, aside from journalism and, and pastors and writing books, every field needs good 
storytellers and writers. There's no field that is, is, wouldn't be richer for having, you know, any field from engineering to law, to medical, to any field that you're in, being able to take that story and turn it into something practical for the normal person to understand, which is what really journalism's strength is to find out, you know, a story that's maybe would be more technical for an average person and just, okay, how would you tell your mom? Um, Every field can benefit from someone who is able to do that, who's able to understand those harder concepts and then write it like you'd be telling your best friend or your husband. That's good advice. Yeah. So wherever you are, write well. Write well. Yeah. From your emails to your your tweets to just even your texts. I think just developing the habits of, you know, I even find myself just, I want to like I can't always because autocorrect, but when autocorrect changes my stuff, I'm always like, no. <laughs> and I, I have to send the correct message with an asterisk. Right. Going, hey, I meant this word, you know, that right, I, right, I wish right. I could edit my tweets and edit my texts. Yes. And, and Me edit too. All that stuff. Yes. It's a bummer. Yeah. Well, Sarah, where can yeah. people follow you on social media? Uh, I know you should go and, and check out her writing at TGC and also still at some uh, pieces up at Christianity Today. Is there anywhere else where you're writing regularly? I, I only have time to write for them. So I, I write for Christianity Today and uh, the Gospel Coalition. Those are the only places that you'll find me now, unless I pop up one, very rarely once in a while, somebody else reprints something. Um, on Twitter, I'm at Sarah E. Zylstra. Um, I am not prolific. So if you follow me, you, I, I won't clutter up your feed. I just basically link to when I have a new story, I tweet it out is my, the extent of my engagement with Twitter. Perfect. Yeah. And I'll tag that in the, in the show notes. And so you can find uh, the books that Sarah mentioned today. You'll find a link to her pieces at TGC and Christianity Today, and especially the, the John Piper piece and the one on X29, her most recent one that's, that's up there. You'll find that in today's show notes, which you can find at homerow.fireside.fm slash 31. Or you can also just look in the description of your podcast app of this episode, and you'll find all the links listed there. And once again, I'm J.A. Metters, also Jeff Metters. And, you know, I, I don't think I told you this when you were interviewing me for the, for the, the piece on the X-29, but all my writing stuff and all that, all the stuff I do is J-A um, because there is a, uh, there is an author, or he's not an author, there's a, another man named Jeff Metters who's more well-known than I am. Oh, and, no. And he is an ESPN rodeo <laughs> analyst. Oh no, Jeff! That is both horrible and awesome at the same so time. So I would, I would get tweets and <laughs> emails and stuff about the rodeo, and then when right. my when my first book was coming out, uh, the agent I had at the time, we were sitting there talking about it. He's like, "We should do something." I'm like, "Well, my options are Jeffrey Metters, which I'm not right. a child. I'm not a child, so I'm not going to put <laughs> Jeffrey out there." And I had just taken a C.S. Lewis class um, at Southern Seminary when uh, Dan DeWitt was there teaching it. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, he didn't see us, Lewis. He didn't like his names. He didn't like Clive. Yeah. And, well, that's fair. Yeah. And so he made everybody call him Jack. <laughs> Since he was a young boy, he's like, just call me Jack. Yeah. Yeah. And so I thought, you know what? If C.S. Lewis could do it, I'm going to do it too. So I just yeah. like, so J.A. said, figured, why not? And, right. you know, I'm hoping, hey, there's a lot of great, great legacies in these initials yeah. names. 
And so figured I'll just make it. It's kind of mysterious. It is kind of mysterious. I kind of like that. Yeah, yeah. That's good. I'm sorry I outed you to all your podcast listeners. No, no, I'm glad. I needed to, I needed to get that off of my get that off my chest, you know. That and, and actually, my parents told me recently that they almost named me Jefferson instead of Jeffrey. Oh, that's such that's a, a cool name! I was like, y'all should have done it. Mm. I was like, it'd be so cool, especially like it would be so for cool. writing and stuff. That'd be awesome. Yes. And yes. Like, we didn't think you would like it. I'm like, oh, you ruined it. I was like, oh, yeah. But, like you could change your name. I'm like, I'm not gonna go change my name. Go pay to get my name changed. Too late now. Yeah, it's over. Well, Sarah, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, just it's a real blast to have you on the show, and uh, look forward to uh, all your new pieces. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for having me. It's been great. 